from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Chris Comfort, I'm an actor and composer. Andy Scully, I'm an actor. Jersey Gwizdowski, I'm an actor. And Kit Lavoy, I'm a playwright and director. Today, we're going to be talking about acting in commercials. Uh, we've done many episodes about acting in other settings, in theater and in film. And this is one setting in which many of the tools that we've talked about before are very useful to an actor are used in some cases in different ways than they are in film and in theater, and also where there are specific skills that are used in commercial acting that are not necessarily a usual part of film or theater acting. I certainly have very clear memories of being in college and being in grad school with people who were training to be actors, and many of them saying, well, I know what I want to do. I want to do this kind of film. I want to do this kind of theater, but I don't want to do commercials. That's not the kind of acting I want to do. I don't know any actor who is five years into their career who would say that. Commercials are one of the places in the marketplace that really value the skills that an actor has. If you can imagine for a moment if everyone stopped acting, how many huge businesses would have to totally change the way that they tried to get people to buy their products. So it's a place where your skills as an actor are highly valued and it's work that is both not especially easy to get and work that is not especially easy to do. And so we're going to talk today with people who have gotten it and who do do it about um, what they have learned about the way that commercials work and the way that they like to work when they're working on commercials. So uh, before we kick off the conversation, uh, do you guys want to tell us a little bit about the sorts of commercial work that you have done? Sure. Uh, this is Andy, and I'll start. Uh, I shot my first commercial in 2003, and since that time I've done, I'm not entirely sure how many, but certainly a couple of dozen of them, both on camera and voiceover. The first commercial I ever shot was in when I was living in Milan, Italy, and that was 1995. Uh, the first commercial I shot in the States was, I want to say, 97 uh, for Strawbridge and Clothier down in Philly, and have been doing several commercials since then. I don't know, Gillette, New York Lottery, Sears, JCPenney's, all the standard things. Uh, I started doing, I think the first commercial I did was a VH1 commercial, and it was a background work on that. And then a couple of years ago, I did uh, a Comcast national commercial with Andy, which is how I met him. And then I've done a few Verizon spots and stuff since. I have been working as an actor for 10 years, but only really booking commercial work for the last five, although I'd say I've been working as a commercial actor and auditioning for 10 and those, um, those spots have really run the gamut between local, regional, different media, internet, national, uh, cinema. So I've had an interesting smattering of roles and products and experience in commercials in the last several years, especially as it's changing rapidly. 
So let's start off first by talking about the auditioning process for commercials. We've talked about auditioning before, but uh, the process of auditioning for commercials is in, in some way different. Do you guys want to talk about first, what sorts of materials do you generally get before you go in for your audition? What do you walk into the audition with? The funny thing about commercials, I think, is that um, sometimes they're for products that are have yet to launch. And so there's a bit of a secret shroud over certain products, and they won't give you sides right away, which is, that's one of the unique things with commercial auditions that you won't see in plays or movies, where they want you to be familiar with the, the material, at least your sides. And therefore, the skills of cold reading and even whiteboard reading or like uh, teleprompter type reading is important, but you don't always get the script that you wish you could get ahead of time. I would say I've been on many, many, many auditions and I feel like I've gotten sides ahead of time once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I feel like you go in, you get the sides and you have maybe five minutes to look them over and then you literally put the sides down before you go into the room. It's not like film or TV or theater where you go in and you actually use the sides during the audition. You go in with nothing and they'll either have an easel or they'll just ask you to do it or they'll ask you to improv what it was, but you, you're never allowed to have that clutch. Yeah, I think often what you get is very little. Mm -hmm. uh, your agent will email you the day before so you only get at best 24 hours notice and usually it's date time location you probably get the brand for the commercial but you might not mm -hmm. to chris's point mm -hmm. and the type of attire casual business etc sometimes <laughs> you get more than that mm -hmm. very rarely as jenny pointed out yeah. do you get sides i think once every blue moon but unless it's a voiceover i i do not expect to get sides for on camera uh, and then sometimes you get a little bit more, like maybe a brief description of the character or the scenario, and sometimes you get the type of character. Uh, we want a Jason Bateman type guy for this, or Charlie from Sunny from, you know, it's always Sunny in I Philadelphia. Get, I get Kristen Wig. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or they'll yeah. be there like the five things, like hip, young, blank. Quirky. Quirky, this, yeah. you know, young father. I mean, they're, they're sort of a, a few major uh, thoroughfares that all the types filter into. And I actually feel like more so than in uh, film and theater, they will dictate kind of what you wear in terms of like, I've been in a number of ones that will, you know, you need to bring fitness attire, wear what you would wear running, or wear a blue shirt if it's like for a grocery store or Walmart or something like that where they kind of want to see a representation of what it would be. Which I feel like is more... Is, is more so for commercial auditions than film, film and theater. Yeah, I think in general you should dress in the spirit of yeah. the character, yeah. but sometimes they do take that a little bit more literally yeah. with commercials. Yeah, but that said, I always take that with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. It says casual, I'll show up in something casual to the best of my ability. If I've got a business, one you know, earlier in the day and a casual later in the day, I'm going to cut the difference and I'm not going to sweat it. Yeah. There are those that get really into switching from the suit into the... But I feel like that might be a little more than is necessary. I, think I do the same thing. It's, yeah. If I've got the rocker guy and the nerdy guy, I just wear my normal clothes. And I feel like they apply <laughs> equally for each. You know, I mean, there's in the some room. truth to that, really. Yeah. You, know, I, you also see the guys come in for the business thing. And it's a, you know, 
if it's a the sh a close shot, they'll be wearing their clothes and just throw on a, a shirt and jacket or a jacket and tie over their flip flops and shorts and stuff. You see that often too. Mm -hmm. I uh, I'm literally looking at um, my appointment for Monday, and it's you know news reporter mid thirties, you know blazer, uh, wardrobe nice perhaps in a blazer. So that's pretty specific. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's news reporter. They need to see the blazer, I think, yeah. in that case. And I think the other thing also is that I'm, I, I love my agent. I think they're great. Sometimes what one agency got information about the wardrobe, I'll show up and not either I didn't read the email correctly, which is on me, <laughs> sure, or it, I wasn't given the information. I was given nice casual, and everybody else knew to bring the blazer. Yeah. Or, or whatever. And I show up and I'm like, sometimes you, you know, you, you have to have that thing of like, I'm sorry it worked out that way, but I'm not going to let it throw me. It's, it's wild in the waiting to go in. You'll see that spectrum of who got what information <laughs> and what office they came from. Yeah. It's yeah. really fascinating sometimes. And I've seen it in my own career going from like a smaller agent to a manager to a larger agent. It's just people that the information is disseminated differently as it gets to the representation and then internally in the office, they they dole it out differently. That people, I, we're in a band, that we, you needed us to bring our instrument? Or no, we don't need you to bring your instrument because you're not actually playing, you're just playing as if you're in a band, you know, in the commercial. And then you see these guys bringing all their gear because <laughs> mm -hmm. they were erroneously informed, you know. Given that idea of that being the sort of information that you get before you go into an audition, what is the biggest surprise you've ever gotten when you've actually shown up for an audition and found it to be something other than what you expected? Uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys have once. The, I have a unique, we're, we're, I guess we'll get into type and sort of skill set stuff because I think we have an interesting mix around the table. But I have like a clown background which translates into a lot of different things depending on what they're looking for. So if it's a guy needs to come in and make a balloon animal in a commercial, that's like, great, I will go in for every single one of those that is cast in New York City. And then there are these weird, esoteric, movement, mime-based things where the client and then the casting director and the agent aren't really sure what type of skill is required to pull off this idea. Um, so I've gone in for things that you you know to be the person moving uh, like motion capture green suit person moving the flying product around in you know in the thing that I thought it was going to be a mime audition so I like went in and you know to be there because they said we're looking for mimes for this and I said all right well I'm going to be a mime um, other times you know because there are like the clown guys but you see all the same guys you know so and I'm sure you got, you know, Chris, yes. you see all of the shaving mm -hmm. guys and you see all yeah. of the, you know, <laughs> the, like the, you know, those guys, right. like a certain yeah, type, no, the, you know, but so there were a number of us. I wasn't the only one in that scenario, but that's, that was the biggest one was that I, I was there to be literally unseen and went up more made up than I'd ever been in any audition I've gone into. That, <laughs> you win. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I will say that the surprises I have had have been less on the audition front and more on the shoot. I have a unique audition sort. I went in for New York Lottery, and I knew that this was going to require me to take my shirt off. You know, it was a summertime thing, and it, it was just in the breakdown. Like, you know, I, they said, you'll need to take your shirt off. So I got in there, and they brought in us, us in three at a time, 
and we didn't have to do much, just slate, turn profile, show the hands, and do like a 360 turn, and then that was it. Then we went in for the callback like the next day. And literally the question was, you know, he had three guys again for the callback, and he was only picking one for this role of pool boy. So, <laughs> and I, and he goes, so can any of you guys do that thing where you move your chest muscles without touching them? And I went, you mean like this? Booked, done. And I got the job and shot it the following week. That's happened to me twice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that is the most uniquely odd skill that I've ever actually just booked off of. And it was a running joke and an annoying running joke with my friends and girlfriends. And it's that stupid thing that nobody wants you to do. And it booked me a major job. Yeah. And I got paid a nice amount of money for it. So that's one of those surprises, maybe that, you know, unique I, and, and I odd. And, and, <laughs> and that's what commercials are about is the single most important skill or one of the most important skills I want to talk about is yes and the first rule of improv. Yeah. Really. And. So you're walking into an audition mm -hmm. um, with the information that you come armed with. How is it that a commercial audition runs generally and, and how is it different from other auditions that you go on? Well, Jenny started the uh, second ago here talking about how you get the sides in the waiting room and you have a few minutes to review them. Then you get called in, you usually ditch those sides outside and there's going to be, the sides will be on a board somewhere. If it's a fancy place, they're going to be digital. If it's not, they're going to be just written up there and marker. Different color markers. Different color marker for different characters, right? Uh, but yeah, you walk in, you have a little bit of a chit chat with the casting director and he or she will ask you to slate. And what that means is you stand in front of the camera, you say who you are, your name, your agency, and that's that, right? And then you do the audition. They'll tell you a little bit about it. What type of character, what they're looking for, what the director wants, is it natural, is it over the top, supposed to be really funny, a little bit serious, blah, blah, blah. You do it, they'll stop, give you a little bit of feedback, you do it again, give you a little bit of feedback or not, and then either you do one more time or you're just out the door. And that's it. Pretty and short and sweet. And it's interesting because sometimes, because um, a lot of the commercials, you're not necessarily talking. It's something that you are miming, but not actual mime. But like, uh, I've had to like eat chocolate before. I've had to eat a piece of bread. And they had like a spit bucket because people mm -hmm. don't want to be eating the bread. <laughs> oh, and it's like the worst thing ever. <laughs> um, but you know, you'll have some props if you're like supposed to be in a grocery store or something. And it's kind of funny the varying levels of props and stuff that you either have or do not have to to pull it off. It sometimes feels like summer uh, summer camp talent night. Like yes. they just got everything because it's such <laughs> a, um, a highly it, it, the industry runs so quickly and it's such a, a rapid and ever changing ecosystem that. You, you'll go into the room and you know they just like the sides that you got or the type has changed and the sides are new that morning for the casting director that came in and then they're trying to mock up props or the scenario that has become now what the job is and it can get really funny sometimes and also you know you have to think on your feet too I think one the thinking on your feet I think there's one real key thing about that right if you're going in for a play or a film or TV show, chances are that script is a lot more set. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With commercials, nine times out of 10, you can play. So 
if you're going to say the brand name, you damn well better get that right. Mm -hmm. But everything around that, the jokes, the way you finish the commercial, you can ad lib usually. Uh, they're actually preferred to have they a little. Encourage that. Yeah, they in general, they really want you to do your own thing with the script to have it sound natural, to play with it. If you have a funny idea, put it out there, particularly at the end of it. Even after the script is done, you want to throw in your own little button, do that. And I think that I've definitely booked because I've had an unexpected button at the end of a script that they didn't see coming and thought was funny and interesting and thought, yeah, all right, let's have this guy on the shoot and see what he comes up with that day. You know? mm -hmm. Have you ever found that the thing that you did in the audition ends up being what happens in the commercial? It's a mix. I think certainly when I've done it myself and then booked the commercial, yes. Uh, I think there's also kind of this experience where people feel like they improvise something in the commercial, uh, in the audition, that then sometimes ends up with someone else who hmm. books it. Uh, I have not had that, pers that personal experience. But certainly when I do something in the audition, they like it and they book me, yeah. And in all likelihood, we'll do that at least for a take or two. It may not make it into the final cut, but that's definitely part of the, the shoot day. It also depends on what the director wants to see. We went in, Andy and I went in for a, I don't even know what the product was, a commercial audition this week. And it was supposed to be someone like getting out of bed or like waking up. And the director specifically didn't want that just mimed in an audition room. Cause how do you do that? That's ridiculous. You have to like set up a fake bed or something. And he literally just asked the casting director to talk to the people and talk about like what they do for fitness and just have it be a conversation because he wanted to find interesting people interesting looking people and you know people that could just talk and and then I assume in the callback they'll do something else but he didn't want to see the kind of mimed unrealistic thing because you don't have anything there that could help you do that yeah and in fact a lot of times they actually discourage you from miming too literally yeah so if you're driving a car you can just sit in the chair and have a look as if you're being cognizant of traffic, but you don't actually have to have your hands on a pretend wheel steering. Yep. You know, they find that distracting. So, you know, you want to create enough of the world that it looks realistic, but not that you're really trying to mime the thing out. And it seems like that comes from their casting, the people, because that attitude, not the best car mimer, but they're trying to find the person that'll be the, you know... Um, like that experience you had where there maybe this person waking up is the right that seems to be the prevailing attitude I mean there's so many different directors and casting directors and ad agencies and you know clients and products and approaches to advertising but the prevailing attitude seems to be it's something kind of like this I mean Chris your story about the, the peck thing mm -hmm. it's like what does what would a pool boy, oh you know that thing like that happened in between <laughs> the first auditions and the callback like what do we want this guy to be able to do right. you right. know um, oh, that sort of thing. But I'm sure there have been instances where it's, or something like this, and, you know, the other funny muscle man thing you can do would be, right. that becomes the thing. It's like everyone's around the table, and I've had experiences where I get cast as an option. You know, some directors will work that way. We need it, we, we know we want to tag on this spot, but we don't know if it's going to be the two guys in the corner. We don't know if it's going to be the hero again with a one-liner. So we're going to shoot all of it, and then as it shapes up, during the shoot and in the edit, we're gonna see what works as we're putting it together. Yeah, and I mean, that's a little bit um, extending beyond just the audition process, but that's an interesting experience that I've had as well. I booked a commercial uh, for a big brand national spot and they literally shot 
two versions. Uh, one where it was a boss character and his kind of right-hand man, who I was, and then another version where it was just the boss character. And one of them with just the boss was a little bit more serious, and the one with me was more comedic. And they actually shot both of those and then decided which direction they wanted to take the brand in. And really knocked it out of the park on that one. No, they, they went with the serious one. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, because our, I was just too funny. So, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's just really, really charming and funny. And, and it just it wouldn't have worked for that very serious brand. So, sure. but the, Yeah, there does seem to be that. It, it all goes back to the client, you know. So the, um, the casting director wants to present options to... The agency or the folks the director and then the client is the ultimate arbiter so everybody's presenting options to whittle it down to what that final spot is i mean that is actually i think one of the things that sets commercial auditions apart from other types of auditions is just the decision making process of who gets the role yeah you know that it's 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 in most auditions you've got the director there who makes their decision sometimes needs an artistic director or someone to sign off on it but but that's not the case in in commercial auditions at all there's a lot of people who need to agree that this is a person they want representing this brand before the person's hired. Well, in fact, before they, in terms of who they call back for the callbacks, they have the director's list and they have the client's list. And they bring back both people, and you don't know whether you're, you were on the director's list or the client's list, which is actually really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in fact, sometimes you'll see on callbacks, they'll have pictures of actors up on a wall where you can see them, and you can see little, you know, initials written on mm -hmm. them. And you oh, know I've that never they're. Seen that. Oh That's yeah, awesome. I, I mean, a lot of times you don't, but sometimes you do. You'll see them posted up, and I've seen my picture with initials on it, and I, you know, I, I know that one of them liked me, but I don't know whether it was the client right. or the director. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, you were talking about improv. You're talking about buttons and things like that earlier, and I booked a commercial, and I think this happens a lot, and I think this is, I think you've talked about a kit when you've cast plays and things like that. Mm -hmm you know, charm and how people can deal with mistakes or incidents in the room. And one of the commercials I booked, well, first of all, even the lottery commercial, I think the only reason why I got it over the other two guys was just simply because I just, there was zero filter, zero delay. I just jumped and said, oh, you mean this? And I did it, done. It was like, it was a, it was like you know, cut and dry. But another commercial I, I booked, a national network commercial, was all based on the fact that I misheard the question, but I was so earnest about my answer to the wrong question <laughs> that they loved my earnestness and they booked me anyway. That's and the great. question was, what is, your, what, what is your favorite dream job? And I thought she said, what, what is your favorite dream car? So I started talking about a Lamborghini, Lamborghini Countach and how much I just like, and the doors and the, and I just, I had posters on my wall and she goes, I said dream job. And then, but I was so adamant and earnest and I had this like, I think I went back to my my teenage and adolescent years of that car that I fantasized about. Yeah. And I kind of started bring just naturally, it just started rolling out of me. And I think that I was so sincere about what I was saying that, because it was a non-speaking commercial anyway, and they just wanted to see life. They want to see life and humanity and like fun like exuberance and I did it whether I answered the question correctly or not I gave them that thing and then they told me what the question was and it was just a, we had a big laugh about it and I booked it and went out and flew to Mississippi the next week 
you didn't flat out correct her and say, no, I heard the question. This is my dream job. Or maybe you're wrong. I want to be a car. (laughs) I want my dream job so I can purchase my dream car. (laughs) I'm thinking a step ahead. Yeah. Well, that does, though, get into something that is we've talked about before in in light of, of other things is totally even more true in commercials. That idea of when you're going out to audition that you want to show them what you're about. They have a mm-hmm. lot of people to choose mm-hmm. from. It's true of plays. It's true of films. But it feels especially true of commercials, you know, that they're looking for that person who in 20 seconds can be this thing and they want to find the person who is that more than they want to find the person who can pretend to be that and that idea that when they're auditioning you a lot of times again for a non-speaking commercial well what do you give somebody to do and they Mm -hmm. have all sorts of things that they're going to give you to do that are not necessarily because it's the thing you're auditioning to do in the commercial but because it's their way of trying to figure out who you are and what you are about and um, I mean, again, we all have professed very strongly in the past that that's critically important in any audition you go into. But I would argue it's it's of paramount importance in a commercial audition. I, I think there's one thing that's very important here, and I think it, it, it keys into commercial auditions, but actually any audition. There's a lot of money at stake, period. Mm-hmm. So the people who are determining whether you get this or not, at the end of the day, they want to know that if they book you, that all of the money they're investing in that commercial and in that brand is not going to go down the toilet because you're flubbing your lines or you just come across like a jerk when you were supposed to be likable or whatever. And I think that's true when you're talking about a huge summer blockbuster film times, you know, thousands more than a commercial. But uh, it's still true for commercials. At the end of the day, a lot of money on the line. And if they have confidence that you're going to be the one that helps them all keep their jobs and get the next one, you're going to book this one. If they're not so sure, then they're going to go to somebody else. I think going back to some of the stories that we were talking about, you know, and I'm sure this goes without saying, but I would never suggest anybody mess up on purpose to be cute. Like when I had that accident (laughs) of, of mishearing the line. Andy has, you know... What he told the story he told about putting the button on the end. Now that is a more planned thing, and you can practice that. And you know the skill of either improv or your comedic timing or whatever else. Those are skills that you can and should practice. And also there are archetypes I think in commercials more so than other things. Um, and even if it's not the visual archetype, having sort of a back. And this is with auditions also. And these are things that you've taught me as an actor. Is like having those things that you know are triggers for you and having them in your back pocket. So when they tell you to be sexy on camera, which is a tough one, it's really tough. I mean, who can do that on purpose? It's like, but you have the thing that, the, the little inner secret that you have that is your own little story. I, I, you know, I've just started giving myself little stories about something and not even necessarily anybody in the room or whatever, but just like a thing that you have, like this thing that you know that the other person doesn't know and you get this little smile and then that is the visual equivalent of being sexy or have anecdotes ready, you know, things that you go to, like, like your favorite car or your, or, you know, what happened and, you know, some goofy thing that happened on the subway yesterday be ready to tell that story or be ready to think about that story because that can be the secret that you have that makes the difference between you 
living organically in front of a camera in silence versus trying to act like you're doing a thing silently in front of a camera. So have those things ready in your mind and in your back pocket, right? I mean, and not, I mean, you have several, but the skill of telling those things at a, at the, at a moment's notice. Yeah, I think that goes back to, you know, what Kate was saying about being genuine and being comfortable in your own skin. I, I mean, it's, it's just so important. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say just, you know, as a side note, I've I had never had any issue whatsoever being incredibly sexy on well, camera. Right. So, and I'm, I mean, but, that's, but that's me, and we're all very different types here. Right. And, you know, and I'm, 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 that's why yeah. I'm sitting so close to you yeah. at the yeah. table. That's really, I mean, <laughs> but the, you know, bringing that personality into the room is what you want to do in any audition. You want to be able to do that work and make that choice in any audition. What it seems like... And what it took me, I guess, five years of my career to realize was, or to learn, not realize, but to learn from doing it, was that the commercial audition is in a way a crucible through which to forge that stuff and able to be, in order to be able to do it very quickly, you know, in order to be able to have it as shorthand, you know, be sexy. We don't have time for you to do your sense memory mm -hmm. and your exploration work on the text. You know, it's time to do it now because I just said it two seconds ago and you need to have that shorthand not to do it in a fakey way, but to be able to bring yourself into the room. So it's that dichotomy that is it true of all the work and everything we talk about, you know, in these episodes, but in a very heightened timeline. There's a lot of money on the line um, and there are a lot of options, you know, and um there's maybe more translating to do and to do more quickly. Well, it's an interesting thing because it's, it's uh, as I said earlier. I mean, I do know when I was training and things like that, people were saying, "Well, I don't, you know, I don't want to do commercial work. I don't want to what is a ghost get in front of the camera and be sexy." You know what? That takes a lot of skill to be able to do that without rehearse. I mean, that that's um, you know, I mean, as you said, it's that's not an easy thing to do. It's something you really have to know yourself as an actor and your instrument to know how to do that at the drop of a hat. Well, I was so glad. I was so glad that you kicked that off at the beginning of this episode to say that in college, a lot of us heard, "Oh, you know, I, the type of acting that I want to do is film and theater, and I don't want to do commercials." And then how much that changes. There's, I don't know a working actor out there <laughs> who has not done or tried to do commercials. Y you need diversification if you're going to survive as an actor. And that means in, some people get fortunate and they can just do the thing that they really want to do. But most people need to diversify and they've got to do some commercials. They've got to do some film. They've got to do some TV. They've got to do some voiceover to make it all work. So I thought that was a really key point you brought up right off the bat. And also I think, and this happens in television work also, but you know, it doesn't happen in short films or student films or super independent films, but it does happen in television work and it happens in commercials where you can have passive income through residuals, yep. which allows you to feed yourself and work on the skill that you're working on and you're not getting paid just for the hours that you're, you're doing the thing. Mm -hmm. You get the the residual checks, even if it's a cable only and it's a quarterly buyout. It's still something coming in that wouldn't have been coming in, and it allows you that just a little bit of breathing room 
to to then justify doing a play that you're not getting paid for because the play that you're not getting paid for is giving you the skill to book the commercial that you will be getting paid for. Yeah. Or it just tightens up your skills. Um, I know I, I made a... It was kind of funny to say be sexy was the one I, I pulled up as an example. But A, that's a very, very real thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you also have to find the other ones. When you have a script and you're a good actor and you're trained, you have the fodder to come up with this energy. Mm-hmm. You have the lines, you have the back and forth with your co-star or with your reader. When you don't have the lines or a dialogue or like... You know, you like Jenny said, you don't want to mimic getting getting up out of bed. We just want to watch you be alive, and do something interactive with your with your scene partner, and that's nice. But you will get instructions, and this is where commercial acting can differ from film. And, and we've said this, but I'm going to say it again. They will literally say, "Okay, now be sexy. Okay, now be funny." Okay, now smile, but not with teeth, but with your eyes. But don't squint too much because we can't see your eyes. Now you have to, I mean, literally, but then mm-hmm. you have to look organic. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So that's, so you need to have, first of all, just accept that as reality and then figure out what you can do to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I made a joke about it, but I think you're dead on right. Yeah. And jokes aside, you're totally serious. I mean, Jenny and I, we were just hearing about uh, a guy who gets ribbed for, the way he pronounced a word was maybe jokingly, but it was potentially the thing that cost him a job. And that's so minute and it's so detailed and also possibly definitely not true, but right. it was something that was even in the mix as a possibility. Yeah. And that's, that's the reality of it. Sometimes it can really just be your voice is a little different, you're a little too tall, you're a little too short, your hair was just not quite the right color. We wanted somebody with blue eyes, not with brown eyes. There's so many specific factors that I think really play into commercials that play into the other types of acting you're going to do, but not as, so, not quite so literally. You and know? it doesn't have quite the amount of weight yeah. in the decision-making process. Yeah. And in a way, though, actually, that, that gives a certain amount of ease to the commercial auditions, I think, mm-hmm. because... It's not like everything is a judgment on your skill set and what you bring to the table. I know for a fact there's times when I've gone in and I've flubbed it and I've still booked because I happen to be what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. And there's other times I've gone in and I've knocked it out of the park and I've not gotten it because I'm not quite what they're looking for just based on a physical or a technical level of some kind. You also have no idea what kind of captures their imagination. One of the commercials I booked... I really think in talking to the director afterwards, it was it was a for one of the spots I had to wear I had to wear a bikini, and for part of the slate, you had to spin, and literally he talked about the expression on my face <laughs> as I was spinning oh, was like this like Terror? I don't know what it was, but he mentioned it to me after, and I don't know if that's what like that face that I did instead of I mean I like to think I did the sides really awesome, but yeah. you have no but idea. But actually, as I recall, that particular audition, you booked a different ad in that series yeah. than that one yeah. you were auditioning for because the thing they saw in you in that audition made them want to cast right. you in the other commercial that they mm-hmm. were cast. Yeah. yeah. As my girlfriend, and that's how we met. That's how we <laughs> met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you know um so sorry i just yeah so no, cl- clearly just to tie this all together <laughs> if you're placed into a physically awkward situation and are deeply uncomfortable with it when that's happening you're obviously a pretty good match for me <laughs> <laughs> someone's gonna see that face and say you know what we should set her up with Andy Scully. They should do a big commercial. Like <laughs> truth. I mean, not that that's the truth. But truth sells, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, relatability. Humanity. Uh, veracity, yeah. humanity. So the be sexy thing, especially, you know, for like the hero role in the commercial, you know. Right. Um, if you're holding the product or eating the product or the, the person whose life is forever changed by the product. And then, then you know that that truth, you know, waves through all this the smokescreen of advertising. Like, no, let's get real here. We can really help people. The way that <laughs> just in terms of preparing and and being in the audition room, mm-hmm. um, one way you can set yourself up, much in the same way that you know Chris described, with having approaches to the audition and having things in your back pocket, anecdotes, etc. Although you don't get sides often beforehand, there is information you can glean either from the information you get from your agent or from this casting director operates in this particular way at this pace. I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement before this one, but I have a strong suspicion it's part of this campaign of which I've seen a dozen commercials, so I know what the vibe of this thing is. Mm -hmm. Or while I'm in the room, I get a sense of, okay, you you do your recon, What, what are the, who else is here? So what's the kind of thing they're going for? And what are the notes they're giving us in the room against what the breakdown was? Mm-hmm. You know, there are interesting like bits of information that play off each other that can help you get a little closer sense on the type of thing that they're trying to nail or the type of thing they're trying to find. And that can be pretty useful um, because often it is an old script or a general um, you know, script that they're using to find people for a whole slew of commercials, a whole series of spots. I think also, and sort of along that line, you're talking about like the recon and everything else. I think, and you know, what we've all spoken about with not getting the sides until you walk in the room, it's extra important for the actor to take care of themselves, to get ready, and to politely be professional for their own sake and not to try to not fall into the because you're going to start seeing similar people or you're you know you've you've mentioned New Jersey uh you know you see some of the same faces you want to be polite and say hi but at the same time because it's even more limited time than you would have gotten if you had had the size for a couple days or whatever you do need to kind of like check out a little bit and make sure you learn those sides and get really pretty good at it and there's a skill to that too of, Mm -hmm. of getting off book quickly or cold read quickly, or ballparking it quickly. And part of that is being polite, but also don't get sucked into conversations in the room until you know you've got the thing. Mm-hmm. Because some people, I, you know, they, you hear this in classes all the time, some people are inadvertently, they like to, as the actor, they'll want, want to walk in and kind of like control the audition waiting room. Mm-hmm. And it, it can throw you as the other actor off when it's your turn. Yeah. You can't let that yourself get sucked into that stuff. You know, you want to be polite and you want to, because you're going to see these people and it's just nice to be polite. But you also need to take care of yourself maybe even more so than some other auditions you're going on because it is so, your time is so limited with that dialogue. Yeah. And it's tricky. It's, it's a matter of kind of knowing yourself too as an actor. I right. know that I have 
I I love the auditions where you go in with someone and you're like riffing off of each mm-hmm. other or you Pretty like great. I love that yeah. and I don't I don't necessarily worry as much about uh, the text on those but the ones where you're going in where you're by yourself and you have to read off the easel and it's like I still I have like that is a skill I need to get better at like when you're in the like you're a spokesperson by yourself and like then I will take the sides and I will try to get off book as quickly as possible because I'm I know I don't have the skill yet of like going back and forth to the easel when I'm by myself yeah yeah and there's a big difference between the kind of loose script where you're bouncing ideas back and forth and you right. have more freedom to improvise versus uh, some sides where you're compu- you're can you're trying to communicate a dense paragraph yep. of details about a very specific and technical product. Yeah. That yep. stuff you got to just get it down because the language <laughs> is truly important as opposed to it's more of a jokey thing where the lines are less important because it's more about the humor and the experience and the moment. Yeah. A Doritos ad versus a tech something. Or yeah. An insurance. insurance. Yeah. Is really heavy. Um, oh, uh, any uh, uh, pharmaceutical yes. stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 And even certain aspects about, you know, like a lot of mobile phones are more like Doritos commercials and that they're just fun. But then others are really focusing on a particular service or a particular technological advancement that they've made and you need to be able to articulate it same thing with cars you know so on and so forth that's the kind of information that you can glean and before you get into the room and maybe even once you're in the waiting room and also once you get the breakdown for example the way Andy was talking about the product name like obviously if you say the product name you don't want to improvise that then there's also like what's the um, campaign what's the new slogan that they're rolling out Mm -hmm. And it's probably not only just something you should say clearly, but something around which they're basing this entire campaign. So what is it that can be, I'm loving it, or whatever, you know, the, the general, you know, the new multi-million dollar campaign that's going to be in media, print, commercials, radio, um, is all based around it. It's probably important. It reminds me um, of David Cady, who we know, who is one of my commercial acting teachers. And he's also a casting director. That's who I'm going to see on Monday, or his office at least. But we've taken classes with him, and mm-hmm. then we've done semi-privates and privates with him also. And that's part of investing in your career is the best way to prepare for the process is to do the process. Mm-hmm. Pay the guy the money and go do it and get the feedback and then do it again and get feedback and do it again and get feedback. But to kind of speak on what you're talking about a little bit is when you can wrap the sincerity around this this line that you're being given substitution is another big skill an actor skill that I think is very paramount in commercial acting more so than you know it comes up a lot you know why do I care about car insurance I don't even own a car but what is it that you have told your friends about that that you think would really make their life better and then you take that energy and wrap it around the car insurance slogan or the or the spiel because you're trying to really help this friend who's listening say look if you want to get better coverage on your insurance you're going to want to take a look at this company because you know and you can have it the same energy as look I picked Mac over PC because I just I feel safe surfing the internet there are no viruses on (laughs) Mac like there are on PC you know whatever the thing is I'll take one you know (laughs) yeah or or Advil versus Tylenol whatever the thing is that you Jersey Gwizdowski care about 
a product that you've gotten recently, a set of headphones that you like, you know, this sandwich place versus that sandwich place that you have in your own life, mm -hmm. and then you take that kind of zeal and then you can wrap that around, or wrap the dialogue around that thing, because... It took me five years to yeah, learn that. That's I mean, really, I'll tell you. And, then, and David Katie has, like, he's gotten me on that because he, he asked me, are you a Mac or PC guy? I'm like, well, I'm both. And he's like, damn it. Okay, tell me, what, <laughs> tell me this thing. I said, well, you know what? I got these Bluetooth headphones, and I can't tell you what has changed. Yeah, you think headphones, whatever. But you know what? I don't drop my phone anymore because the cable gets tied up on my arm. I'm like, I feel like I can, I can walk around the gym and leave my phone on the, whatever. It's like yeah. all these things that seem inconsequential my neck doesn't hurt anymore because i don't have to hold i mean these these things and that's I where those anecdotes that. come in yeah. right yeah yeah and it actually is something that that i mean i i think a lot of people when i talk to them when i coaching people talk about how artificial it feels to be doing a commercial sometimes especially the talking to the camera and pitching but I mean, as you're saying, Chris, we we advertise for things all the time all for free. the time. I mean, it actually yeah. is a very major part of our human experience is telling people about stuff we're excited about. The trick is figuring out the way to be excited about the thing that they're hiring you to be excited about. Or just take your, yeah, straight up substitution. Yeah. You, I mean, a little bit of practice and you can do it. And then you just keep practicing it more and more and more. But I mean, you're right. We we I mean, even what we post on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, we're clearly we care about it because we're talking about it. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, Chris. The thing about paying for training in it, mm -hmm. I was somebody that said, "Oh, I'm not going to pay to do training for camera and commercial," mm -hmm. but I did. I paid. It was an opportunity cost. I mean, I did it. I'd spent five mm -hmm. years training, and not getting callbacks, then getting callbacks, and then booking. Mm -hmm. You know. You learn through it's a quantity business, but I I, I, I now wish that I had earlier in my career done yeah. those workshops. I, there's I, just those skills that you don't. Yeah, I, and I did take a, a course early on that was hugely beneficial for a lot of the reasons you guys are citing. Mm -hmm. And but I did that. It was literally three classes over the course of three weeks, and that was it. And I moved on. And I think that that was critical. Mm -hmm. But I felt like for me, after that. I needed no more. Mm -hmm. So I think there, there's also, we're in an industry where a lot of people can encourage you to continue doing certain type of training. Some of it's deeply valuable. Commercial stuff, there's a lot of technical stuff that you don't know until you know it. Mm -hmm. You get that. But then I, for one, anyway, would not say that you need to continually go back to do a lot more of training on it. I think you need a quick basis of it. And then go and get different training, mm -hmm. you know, get, learn how to sing, do method acting, you know, whatever it is mm -hmm. that, uh, improv, I think improv. maybe improv. Equally, Absolutely. And even if you never, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the, the art form of improv. I mean, I, I go and see my friends do it when, but there are games that they play that are specific to improv troops. Yeah. That doesn't, they don't necessarily interest me. Like long form. Right. Yeah. The long form versus this form versus that form. But, Go to the class anyway because you get you learn how to think instantly on your feet mm -hmm. without filtering or without that thing of pause of concern of is this the right thing? Oh my god! And by that time, you know three or four moments have passed and you lost the moment the opportunity to say the thing. So mm -hmm. in that sense, 
the improv class might even be more important than continually yeah. going to commercial classes. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. And I think we'll talk more about it as we move to preparation and shooting. Before we move on to talking about what you do when you've actually booked the commercial, something that we've sort of danced around a bit in this discussion is the idea that basically all of your commercial auditions are going to be on tape and they are taping you, uh, which is virtually never the case in a theater audition and is often the case for film auditions. But how does that affect the way that you go about auditioning? Well, I mean, it's specific to the product. For a shaving commercial, they want you to be clean shaven almost always. And you better be clean shaven, like an hour before you got there. It's not shaved two days before and you've got a two-day growth. You need to be ready, camera ready. One of the things I heard, and this is more a testament about L.A. versus New York, but I think it applies as a good thing to know, is that there's a casting director whom I know for films who cast by Coastly, and he said, you know, the L.A. actors look like they just came out of the hair and makeup trailer. New York actors look like they just worked a double. So there's something about the life of, you've got to, like, wash that off of you in the casting director's restroom before you get in there and mm -hmm. you have to look whatever the role if you're a rocker you've got to look you can look disheveled yeah. but if you are supposed to be a spokesperson or whatever else you better have a brush you better have girls should have like fresh makeup or at least don't look unfresh mm -hmm. you know it's yeah. very real well in this i know it's so much about type yeah right mm -hmm. and we just talked about that a bit ago because I need to be camera ready, but I definitely don't have to be concerned as much. I might be going in for a businessman or for a dad or for, you know, some kind of comedic guy. Uh, but I, I, it's more forgiving for me, you mm -hmm. know, because the types that I go in for are a little bit more open to interpretation. Whereas the types you, Chris, are going for are much more specific. And if you're not spot on, you're not getting it. You know, there's more. There's a little bit more leeway with my types. Sure, you know? but I think even regardless, you better have looked in a mirror before you walk in that room, right? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, right. <laughs> so <laughs> even Not, just to make sure that you're sure. a pigeon didn't crap on your shoulder unbeknownst to you or yes. whatever. No, you know, I, or you have a, a piece of hair sticking up, and no amount of awesome acting is going to pull the director's eye away from that piece of hair that's sticking up. It yes. doesn't need to derail your audition, and yet it could be the thing that just blows it for you and you didn't yeah, know. Yeah, no, and, and I wholeheartedly agree with that, yeah. and I just meant the degree of it. You sure, definitely absolutely. need to be yeah. camera yeah, ready, yeah. but the seriousness of that camera readiness depends on what you're going in for. Right. Well, speaking yeah. as a guy who often has at least one piece of hair sticking up, you know, <laughs> and actually another degree of that way that type filters into what the audition experience is like, for myself, I think I actually have a, like a gamut of a number of incredibly specific types of things that I go in for, mm -hmm. which is maybe a little bit different than this could be a thing that could be Andy or it could be, you know, mm -hmm. the role is a little bit more. So that's, I think, another version of that, like the rock and roll guy, the nerd. And when I was younger, it was a lot of like the teenager. And now it's like the hapless whatever guy, you know, um, which is something I'd see you and those, uh -huh. you know, waiting to go in for those. Um, or the clown, or the, you know, and that's like, that's incredibly specific and incredibly ready. And if you bring, that's why I dress up like a mime for something, because the only thing I got to hang my hat on, so to speak, my beret, was mime. <laughs> and 
if you are, it's it's much like in our other episodes we talk about type. You know, you have that to bring. You have to go 100% toward it. You know, if you're a multi-hyphenate skilled person, you have to be 100% because you're going in with a bunch of people that the only time they go in for an audition is when they're a clown and they bring their whole thing with them. The only time they go in for an audition is as a rock guy and they are totally decked out and have their guitar, you know. Um, so you really need to be specific in the way that Chris is talking about, but flexible in the way that Andy's talking about yeah. if it's an incredibly specific well, thing. Well, because so often I'm going in for an everyman type character, yeah. and therefore it's more forgiving, you mm-hmm. know, as mm-hmm. opposed to something that's very, uh, the Gillette shave guy mm-hmm. is very specific. I'm not going to go in for that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go in for the every guy, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. And it's interesting because I run into, I wear glasses in my day-to-day life, and I go in for some things where I absolutely will wear my glasses for the commercial audition, and I'll go in for some where I will absolutely not. And it's kind of a weird pick of the day, like, is this something where it's more helpful for me to be with glasses or not? But as part of my slate, as a result, if I am in glasses... They take a picture of me, and then I take the glasses off, and they take another picture of me. Or, you know, it's a film. But, like, uh, so they can see both both sides of it. Because I've definitely, the commercial I shot with Andy, my audition was with glasses, and I don't think I, I did wear glasses. I don't remember. They were debating on set whether or not I should be wearing glasses. And, yeah, so it depends on. So many factors. <laughs> One other quick thing about being on camera in the audition is that those are tapes that they watch a lot and your director, your client, the casting director will be watching them and that's oftentimes how they'll form an impression of whether to call you back in for another thing. So especially as you're starting your career, those are times when it's crucially important to, as we were saying before, bring yourself into the room because, mm-hmm. yeah, man, Andy wasn't the choice for this because we needed somebody with that wore glasses or had brown eyes, but we want to bring him back in for the next Everyman thing because he's got this great quality that we will find something that's right. And he was great in the room and is great on camera. And that's, you know, how you start developing those relationships. Well, that's something we've talked about before, just that idea of you want to show people what you do the best because no one you want to be auditioning for is only casting one thing this year. Mm -hmm. Um, This week. But that's especially true in commercials is, you know, because... They're short shoots, they're a very short form thing. You're going to have a director directing a dozen commercials this year, not just a a, a stage director directing three shows this year. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, And the people in the room with you that are responsible for the decision, or they might not be in the room with you, they might be across the country, and all they're seeing is that tape. So you're, you're working for the camera. I think also that's unique, especially in a, you know, a group, when it's two or more people in the room at the same time, to delicately make sure that you're being seen on camera, to make sure that you're not being boxed out or where your 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 co-star or your group of people don't set up in such a way that your back is to the camera. Yeah, uh, I've done you know several auditions at least for the restaurant commercials like the Olive Gardens and the steak whatever and it's sort of like yeah it's like a half table a half circle table with three or four people and you have to kind of cheat towards the camera and know how to cheat towards the camera and then have an organic conversation with the yeah. people at the same time being on your phone or writing yeah. or yeah. any Don't of that business down too low. They keep you your face do. up and keep the keep unwrapping the candy that you're selling right you know? yeah. and they're watching you on the screen they're not watching you in the room even the people in the room 
they're looking at how it frames up, how you look on the screen. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's definitely all about the screen. And I think even more so than for a film audition, you can ask, you know, conservatively, you can ask the casting director, how does this look? Is this, how's this angle for what you're looking for? Just so there's no guesswork and just find out straight up, mm -hmm. can you see me at this angle? Is this the frame you're looking for? You know, and then go for it. I think it's professional. Yeah. Okay. So you've gone in for your audition. You've done all of the smart things we've talked about doing. And you happen to be the person they're looking for. You get the call that you've got the job. How long is it generally before you're going to shoot the commercial? And what materials do you get before you go in? And what, inf what additional information? I think it usually happens pretty immediately. Of course, it can vary from job to job. But in general, once you book it, you're probably going to shoot it the next day within a couple of days. Yeah, I feel like I've gotten the call that I've booked it and then been like, you need to be at the fitting at 4 o'clock. Like, I feel like I've had a couple of hours heads up. And there's been a couple, there's been one occasion where it was between me and another girl. It was a travel one. And they told me to have my suitcase ready. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you might be going to Baltimore today. Yeah. You might not. Definitely had that. Yeah. You book it today, yeah. you're flying to Chicago tomorrow. Yeah. And when I say today, they'll let you know at 7 p.m. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know? Because they take that much time to choose between the last two finalists or the yeah. last two options yeah. until that zero hour. Mm -hmm. uh, a good agent will give you a heads up to at least say, look, you're on hold for this. Take that seriously. Yeah. So that you make your whatever arrangements you need to make. Get the dog sitter or get the, you know, get time off from your other day job or whatever it is. Yeah. Just in case. And then what new uh, information or materials do you get between getting the role and going on set? It's funny to, to translate for all of you out there in the world listening. <laughs> everyone around the table is making a face and kind of shaking their head. Uh, so in short, not a lot. You don't, yeah. you, you don't get a lot more information. Inevitably, someone will call you and tell you, you usually have a fitting. Yeah. And at that point, you'll go in, you bring a bunch of clothes. They'll ask you to bring in some brown shoes and blue jeans, blah, 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 blah. They'll ask you to bring in some of your own clothes to the fitting. Mm -hmm. You do that and you have the fitting. Other than that, you get the bare minimum for sure about where you need to be, you know, what time, what your pickup point is going to be. Uh, but it's a lot of times it's pretty, pretty, you don't get a lot more information about the commercial itself. Yeah, and you, def and you don't get any, you know, you don't get the sides again or anything like that. You, right. You get the sides when you show up. Yeah. Yeah. Very rarely would you get the sides again. Right. Once every blue moon. Yeah. But yeah. And there have been as many changes to the spot and tweaks to the, the, um, the copy and the you know storyboards maybe even uh, as many times as the uh, people have had opportunities to exchange emails with each other or make phone calls. I mean, mm -hmm. it'll be it, it can often be very different than the thing that you thought you were going in for. Mm -hmm. Again, yes, and you know you get <laughs> yeah. ready to just like say sure, okay, you want me to do this and put this duck suit on, okay, you know, just show me understand. Really, I mean, <laughs> it, it's stranger things have happened. I mean, you Chris, know. you're a musician that yeah. probably goes in for way fewer musician commercial things than I do right and you know there was something I booked and they said oh you're not going to be you know you don't worry about it you seem to look like it as I said earlier and then it's on location in the, the one of the most storied studios in New York City and they, they just said all right just do stuff in here and I had absolutely <laughs> no idea what to do. <laughs> um, and that might include like 
faking like you're tuning a guitar. Yeah, well, because you only need like it for three seconds. Together. So I just yeah. got the same thing and just I had the guy show me something to do and I just did it over and over again <laughs> for three seconds sure. in every different setup of the shot and every different place in the room. You just do that, you know? Because you never know. It could change drastically. Yeah. Well, we, you were talking about have, when have you been surprised on an audition? And I had had one where I had booked a commercial that shot in Toronto. And it was one where I was a streaker. So I stripped off my clothes and streaked across a football field. It was for a, a cell phone company. And, you know, so I knew going in what it was going to be. It was going to be me streaking. But, of course, they're going to blur at it, all, it all out. And it's going to be it's national television. They're not going to you know, do anything untoward. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, we get there to Toronto and, you know, I'm there for one night or whatever. And then we finally get, we do the fitting uh, the day before the shoot. And they, they pull. What do you have to fit? <laughs> <laughs> Just wait. Oh, Chris. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is the thing, you know, we go into the fitting and I think, hey, well, I, I started out with an overcoat. So I guess there was that that I had to fit and rip off. But then the, and also too, we shot in a football stadium. So the fitting actually took place in a tractor trailer type of uh, business out, but near it. Anyhow, so I'm in the back of this tractor trailer with this one stylist and she pulls out what she calls uh, comedy thongs. And what they are, are thongs that on the front part of the, you know, thong is something comedic, like a stuffed peacock or a stuffed dragon or something like that coming off the front of this and here i am in toronto <laughs> definitely doing this commercial <laughs> that is definitely different from what i had expected uh so yeah, my heart's going a little bit and i'm thinking now i signed up for one thing which was to streak and have that be blurred out and that's going to be pretty funny and that means it's about this overall scene if it's if I'm wearing a comedy thong, then all of a sudden it's very focused on that experience. Uh, and uh, it was it was a curveball and not one I was particularly excited about. <laughs> so anyway, I, uh, I expressed my concern. It was not a big deal at all. We didn't go that route, but that was a curveball and not one that I was particularly excited about. Also, as a side note, there this is one of the funny things about working in this business you're in the back of a trailer with one woman who's sitting in front of you taking Polaroids of you as you're half naked to see if your costume is the right one. It's one of those moments where you zoom out and think, this is my professional life. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How on God's green earth is this what I'm getting paid for today? Well, it's interesting. It goes back a little bit to the fitting, but I remember uh, for, the, for the fitting that we had together, the client was there as well. So you had to get approval from the director and then from the client. And I very specifically remember I had the you know costume on, whatever, and I went to get approval, and the client turned to like the stylist, and was like, what are we gonna do with her hair? <laughs> and it was like, but they're like talking to the stylist, and like you're their product, you know what yeah. I mean? Like you yeah. are. I'm a prop. You're a prop. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that that's how like fittings can work too like you have you know you have the stylist working with you and then you need to get director approval and then you need to get client approval yeah and definitely everyone puts in their two cents yeah. i remember yeah. the first commercial i ever shot i was surprised at they were de they were determining whether or not i should wear glasses and i was surprised at literally how many people mm -hmm. weighed in on that decision 
and it was such an eye-opener in retrospect makes total sense to me but at that first moment at the first commercial where i saw i think probably six six seven people weighed in on that decision and it blew my mind i thought really <laughs> you know whether or not i wear this pair of uh, glasses yeah. but a lot of people Huge. need to have a say or want to mm-hmm. depending I, th- I think part of what what we're talking about here preparing or preparation is almost like just like self mental preparation like mm-hmm. being a good traveler and being able to take things in stride mm-hmm. you know because you, you sure sometimes you're well taken care of if it's a SAG commercial and you're flying over two hours it's first class you know, there are rules about these things. They take care of you very well, but at the same time, you can do a lot of sitting alone or a lot of not sure, and you have to kind of know how to manage your stress and within reason also be a team player and go and take things in stride and know when it's time to speak up, like with the comedy thong, and know when it's time to be like, okay, you know, I'm wearing Daisy Dukes and I'm in a Ken doll box. You know, it's like, that's but that's the thing. So you do it. But... I think a little bit of mental prep and a little bit of having your own, I don't want to say meditation, but kind of being able to manage your own stress so that you can still be fresh once you get on camera. Still deliver. And actually this goes for preparation kind of ties into the shooting is shooting days are long and you're needed for, you know, a certain time, but you also know that you're going to be waiting a Mm -hmm. lot. So bring your laptop, bring a book, bring stuff with you and, you know, make sure you have that stuff so that you are not, you know, you can be productive or, or, you know, whatever while you're waiting. Yeah, I think there's that expression in the, anything that's on screen, there's that expression about hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. And that sums up any kind of shoot day, whether it's commercial film, TV, whatever. Uh, You have a lot of downtime and then immediate notice, you need to go. Two minutes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you don't know how long that's going to be. I mean, we've been on shoots where you hang out for several hours Mm -hmm. uh, before you do anything Mm -hmm. and you don't know whether you're going to be doing something at 11 a.m. or at 4 p.m. Other shoots are airtight and you know exactly where you're going to be and they stick right to it. But we were there for two days for our spot. Yeah, for that one. Yeah, the 30 second spot. Yeah, we uh, exactly. We had two days before we actually did anything. I think the the preparation is being prepared for those things that'll be swirling around you on the day of the shoot or the days of the shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, the people treating like a prop, the um, the sh- finding out what the setting up shot the shot is going to require on location. It requires you to stay in holding for a number of hours, mm-hmm. being ready to get up and go at a, at a moment's notice. Because you can't prepare for every eventuality, but you can be prepared to adapt to any eventuality. That's well, I was going to say, I do think, you know, we're focusing a lot on the uh, the preparation for what the experience of the day is. And I think that that's incredibly important because it's unexpected if you're not familiar with that type of work. I think from the acting preparation standpoint, that's an interesting thing to think about as well. I think that fundamentally that preparing for the type of acting you do in a commercial is the same type of preparation you would do for film or TV, but with a slight modification on degree, right? So like I think about my old method acting teacher, he would say, you do the task with the effort it requires. 
And that means that, you know, if I want to pick up this pen off the table, I'm not going to go stretch and limber up for half an hour and, you know, get ready for it. I'm not going to talk to you guys about, hey, can you give me some input on how I might pick up this pen and lift it? Uh, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to lift it because I know how to do that. <laughs> and it is a very simple thing. I'm, that is the effort it requires. Yeah. Similarly, you know, if you do a, a role where you have a walk-on one-liner role, you know, here's your report, Ms. Curlin, right? You don't have to do a lot of preparation for that, right? If you have a series regular role where you have a character arc that extends over the course of multiple episodes, you've got to do a lot more work. With commercials, just by virtue of the medium, at most, you've probably got a 30-second spot. And that means that, yes, you've got preparation to do, but it's always going to be very contained. And in that 30 seconds, you might actually just have a reaction shot that lasts for four, you know? Uh, or you might have a, a scene where you're talking with a bunch of other characters, but the preparation that's involved therein, I think you still need to be able to do what you need to do to be funny, to be sharp, to be sexy, to be whatever it is that you need to prepare for that particular role. But because it's a commercial, it is going to be a little bit more contained. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it requires preparation, but not to the same degree as a lot of the other acting work that we might be familiar with. And if you're doing, here's your report, Mrs. Curlin, in a procedural, it's a much smaller part of the overall story mm -hmm. than it is in a commercial. Because if it's part of that 30 seconds, those five seconds have to communicate something about who your character is, who Mrs. Curlin is, what the environment is, this, the world in which we're living, that the product is going to enter or be a part of in some way to solve it. There's a lot that needs to happen in those five seconds, and that's where that skill set comes in mm -hmm. that it's a real crucible for being able to do your yeah. acting work and all that that skill stuff yeah. so you have yeah. a limited time to tell to tell the whole story is that idea of, of uh, i'm sorry i didn't write a shorter letter i didn't have enough time you know i mean we all know it's it's hard to write a really great 10 minute play as opposed to a half hour play you know and, and it's that that same idea of you know, the commercial, when it comes together, it's 30 seconds, and there is not one second of it that isn't important. Mm -hmm. You know, so it is that idea of, you know, of, of realizing you have that, here's your report, Mrs. Curlin, but you've got to realize that actually that one throwaway line, which on a film set you would be the least important person in the world, you might be a very important <laughs> yeah. person yeah. in the context of that commercial. Yeah. yeah, you bring up an important thing about the time in that you can say something that's really spot on, but if it's a few seconds too long, it's not going to get used. So you've got to do a take that is the right length for the spot as well. Mm -hmm. Something that is different when you're shooting commercials than when you're working on a theater show, for instance, is that... Uh, very often because things are happening on such a compressed timeline you will be asked to sign your contract other kinds of documents when you arrive on the set uh, how is that something that you guys handle throughout the day at some point you have to fill out tax forms you have to fill out release forms usage and that's where it gets a little bit murky mm -hmm. I think you know I'm with a, a, an amazing agency and I've learned, even through my print days, to let the agent does have the power to sign on my behalf. Anything short of tax forms, which I'll fill that out and try to get like the maximum amount of 
tax ticket out so I don't have to worry about it so much at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I will usually just tell the person, and you have to be a little bit, you have to talk to your agent maybe ahead of time. Know what the answer is before you go to set. Mm-hmm. But you have to ask them, especially for a first timer, if they put release forms in front of my face, do I sign them? Because they literally could say something different than what was agreed on, and once you sign it, there's a different, the contract gets null and void, or, and nobody is necessarily trying to be unscrupulous, but eh, you never know. Yeah, whether it's nefarious, or whether it's a typo, or whether the content of the commercial has changed, and the structure of what you're going to be used for has changed, or the agreements under which you're working have changed, because... You know, the union uh, negotiated a different thing or, you know, whatever whatever happens. With my agent, they always say, especially for people that are going on their first jobs, like, we're going to be there. Just call us before you sign your name to anything because mm-hmm. no matter if it's different than the thing you signed up for, if you sign it, that's it. Yeah, and they, I, I've definitely had the occasion where they've told me to add plus 10% or don't sign a release form or I've gotten instructions before I've I've hit the set that day. Yeah, there can be happy surprises too. Like we are so excited about this spot that we want to you to sign. You know the you know the uh, it might go into these print, things or in it print might, yeah. and it might mm-hmm. be a you know it would be this much of it goes on the internet and this much of it goes before a movie and this much of it goes national and this much of it's cable and this much of it's international. Like great if those are options that are available to me. Sure, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I think the bottom line is you're going to have to fill out a lot of paperwork. You're going to have to sign on the dotted line quite a bit that day. If you have any questions or misgivings about it or just don't understand something, call your agent. And even, again, for the first timer, talk to your agent before you go to set. Yeah. Talk to them the day before and say, okay, so let's say I book this thing. What should I do with my release forms? And they might, you sign nothing except for the tax forms, have them send it to us. I've done that. Mm-hmm. And they don't always want to hear that. But you, 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 can, you can rest, you say it politely, and you don't want to not be a team player in this situation, but you say, that's what I was told. My instructions were specific. I don't sign this. They do. They know better than I do. Period. Yeah, yeah that's what they're there for. Yeah. You know, at the yeah. end of the day, you can, defer to your, you can defer to your agent. That's what they're there for. That's what they get paid for, and they're happy to do it. If and they're a good agent, they're sure. happy to do and it. And you're kind of carefully, but you, you sort of throw them under the bus a little bit in the sense that you kind of say, well... They told me not to sign anything. Now I'm not allowed to. Yeah, it's to- it's typical good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Hey, my hands are tied here. Oh my! If it were up to me, I would love to sign all of the forms for you. <laughs> I would so love to do that. I'd love to sign yeah. anything you need. Yeah. But my agent's really particular about this. And meanwhile, of course, you're like, yeah. listen, I'm a businessman. This is what I do for my life. I'm not going to sign anything if I'm not 100% sure about what it is. My agent is going to understand this better than I do. And you need me to get the hair and makeup in yeah. five minutes. You know? Yeah. And so the paperwork's going to wait until, you know, we can look it over. Yeah. yeah. And I think, though, that, that what you said there is really important because there are people who book a commercial and don't have an agent. Mm-hmm. Frankly, right. having an agent makes right. it much easier to book a commercial. But it is that idea of you are a business person. You know, and I mean, we've talked about it in other contexts that idea of, you know, by saying, I am an actor. Again, it's the difference between acting and being an actor. And when you are being an actor for a living or moving towards being an actor for a living, you know, you basically have this little business called the Jenny Curlin Acting Company, and you need to be prepared to run it as a company. And that idea of even if you don't have an agent to send it to, to realize 
you shouldn't just sign something because someone puts it in front of you. Mm -hmm. uh, and if they're saying you need to sign this and then go to the makeup trailer, you need to tell them, well, I'm going to need to read it. So why don't I go to the makeup trailer and then I will come back and sign it when there's a break to do so. But again, that idea of, and it, it is something, especially before you have an agent, if it's early in your career, you might feel like you're so lucky to have that job, which on one hand is true. There's a lot of people who wanted it, you got it. But at the same time, they gave it to you. You're running a business. You should read anything that you're signing and be sure that it matches what you agreed to. Because once you signed it, it doesn't matter what you talked about. It matters what you signed. I think as far as the language goes, and this is just one tiny tidbit, if anything says in perpetuity, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. That means forever. <laughs> Although also, if it is, uh, you know, if it is a non-union work and it's a buyout, that's going to be. Then that's what it is. But then yeah. that simplifies the process considerably. Yeah, and I think this is where it just it could go down the rabbit hole because yeah. I mean, if you start to get in non-union versus union, yeah. you know, agent versus not, there's a sure. lot of factors. I yeah. think um, at the end of the day, if it's a union and you have an agent, you've got two. Those two entities are going to do a lot to help safeguard you against getting into a tough spot. Mm -hmm. The union will protect you. Your agent will look out for you defer to those two places uh, as much as you need to. Mm -hmm. And and that's true at the beginning of the day when you're looking at the paperwork and then also over the course of your shoot day or days if fortune forbid, you know, something bad happens or there's a safety issue or there's a different type of work that you didn't expect to do or any number of things mm -hmm. change. They want to put you into a comedy thong when you thought you didn't have to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there was yeah. There, I had a situation where I was all of a sudden handling very dangerous things that were literally on fire and I thought this feels more like stunt work at this point than yep. what I signed up for and it was an idea somebody had on set that day which is great we're in a creative environment where ideas are swirling and things are happening but this is probably something I should talk to my agent my union about yep. and then there was a little thing that we got resolved and bada bing and that's an important con that's an important consideration because if you if then all of a sudden you are actually doing stunt work you should be compensated different in pay. a different manner exactly mm -hmm. yeah it's different pay so that gets us into you've prepared and now you're on the set. What is it, we've actually talked a bit about sort of what a day on the set might be, which is a lot of waiting to be in front of the camera, but what are the parts of the day that are in front of the camera? How do those usually run? In some ways, it is a little bit like that hurry up and wait again, because you can still have a lot of downtime when you're in front of the camera where the camera guys and the lighting guys and the sound guys are all doing what they need to do to make sure the so shot's set up. Mm -hmm. Because I did a, a product commercial once, and there, you know, because the product was a soft drink, and it was a spa scenario where I was a massage therapist, and all the lighting that goes into lighting that product is ridiculous and I don't even think they use that particular coverage when I saw the final commercial but they can it gets so meticulous and you can't you have to be there because they need to see how the light reflects off of my white shirt or how my body might block this thing yeah or this angle or you know my hands in there so they can match skin tone with color temperature and all those things so they I'm I'm hurry up and waiting but I'm waiting on set yep. with my hands in the right position you're your yeah. own stand in yes because they don't have you know it's not like I'm a big star and they have a stand in while they're doing the lighting like they would for like a Daniel Craig or something for Bond you know it's like right. it's like I am my own 
Yeah, exactly. And, and often they'll do that. Like they'll do that to a degree. They may have like a PA stand in for sure. you for a while, but at a certain point they just need you there. Yeah. yeah. And when that happens, you're going to be sitting and waiting under the hot lights yeah. and, you know, doing those movements to make sure they've got what they need. And it's interesting because that's when everyone is also looking at you. Like the makeup person is like, oh, you're starting to sweat or whatever. And they keep running over. The hair person notices that you have a hair out of place or whatever. So it, it really is just like sitting there and... And you in relation to that yeah. Coca-Cola bottle or yeah. that. I mean, that's the whole picture. So yeah. without you, it's an incomplete picture. Yeah. And man, the amount of focus that goes on the beads of condensation on that mm -hmm. Coca-Cola bottle, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And you have to, that's another time you got to just play along with it. Oh, yeah. And be dual and positive, even mm -hmm. if it just is annoying. <laughs> well, it, it, that does, you know, just get into something, again, that we've talked about about other settings, too, is it can be really easy to feel like, but I just learned about this yesterday. You haven't given me the materials. I'm just, I'm trying to, but everybody else is working on the same tight time frame, too. And that idea yeah, absolutely. of all you yeah. can do to help be one of the people who makes that day go well is A, just being a good collaborator, <laughs> B, being realistic about what the situation is, but C, much more likely to get you invited back for another yes. one. Absolutely. I think that that's so important. I mean, first of all, right, just general rule about life and about dealing with people. Be <laughs> nice. Be decent. Like, yeah. don't be a jerk. And I think, obviously, everyone at this table knows that, right? right? But that's such a key thing, particularly in this environment where, as Kit, you just said, everyone's dealing with the same, ver like, their own version of the same thing. Everyone's stressed out, working on a tight timeline, hurrying up and waiting and all that. Just be part of the team and yeah. be decent about it as you're doing it. And try to have a smile on your face and try to make a joke when you can and you know, lighten up the mood a little bit and just be a team player. It's, yeah. it's so important. And I'm sure that I've worked with folks again because I've done that. Uh, yeah. It's so important. Does the AD like me, you know? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you don't have to be a people pleaser. You don't have to, like, expend massive amounts of energy to make sure everybody is the biggest, you know, oh, yeah. Chris Comfort, Jersey Gwazowski fan when you leave. But by the same token, some graciousness goes a long way. Just and, recognizing. And, and, and not yeah. just being a team player, but, like, if you look at yourself as you're helping them solve a problem. Yes, and. Yeah. You can, it can just, like, it might make you feel a little bit less prop-ish. And a little bit more like, well, this is what they need for me now, so I'm going to help them out. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're not a prop. No. You yeah. know? No, you're not. And they all know that. And sometimes you might feel like it because there are technical requirements where you are kind of feeling like that. But, uh, but at the end of the day, if you don't do well, that commercial isn't going to work and that product's not going to sell. And they know that. They want you to do well, too. Sure. So. You're there to to do that stuff you did in the room and to bring yourself in in spite of all that stuff that's swirling around, you yeah. know, in spite of the timeline, in spite of all of that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a bit about what you do when it comes time to actually shoot the commercial that you have arrived there to shoot. And to, to start off, uh, what is your relationship like with the director on the set and how does it compare to your relationship uh, with a director on a film or on a theater project? I think it's pretty similar. I think it is pretty similar. You see those relationships between an actor and director, I think, are enhanced or brought into sharper focus by that, you know, crucible that I was talking about earlier, you know, of um, money and time and options and uh, 
the number of eyes on a given thing that really a director that establishes a shorthand and a working relationship with an actor can be a very valuable thing given all those factors on a commercial shoot. And that's something I've noticed at being, you know, the the lazy, you know, character in the background that has one line watching the the hero work with the director. It's oh these are this is a, a guy and a gal or a gal and a guy or whatever that have worked together so often that they can deal with that accelerated um, schedule in a way that they have a creative shorthand and they have a way to um, the director can articulate exactly what it needs to be or give a note from the client in a way that the the actor can deal with. And there's also um, they like to see a lot of options like actually and this goes back a little bit but I remember getting onto um, set and seeing different uh, sides like this is one way that we're going to do it we're going to do it this way we're going to do it this way you know sometimes it's just spur of the moment you know an idea that the director has an idea that the client has that gets you know thrown at you and then you do it um, but sometimes they they do plan ahead of like the different things that we're going to try um, and so the director you know will say okay now we're going to do it and now it's raining I don't know I'm, I'm making, oh. <laughs> I'm making it just stuff reminded up. me of a story but yes yeah it's the fun stuff, yeah, right? The fun it's stuff, yeah. Keep rolling, and yeah. then, all right, give me one. But I love seeing that shorthand, and uh, you know, give me one that's like, oh, give me yeah. one that's like, mm. yeah. give me one that's like, mm, you know, and to see the the director and actor working that way um, is really thrilling. Yeah, that I mean, that was the whole thing that I think for me is when it's the most fun and the most exciting, right? Um, there is uh, this one particular shoot. I remember there was a point on it where I thought, oh man, this is just, I bet this is what like Will Ferrell and Adam McKay feel like when they're just <laughs> bouncing shit around. Yeah. And the thing is, because at a certain point, it was at a point in a day where we had gotten pretty much everything we needed. And now it was time to play around. And we played around throughout the whole day, but it was a director I'd worked with before and he's just tossing things out. And he might be tossing things out like a different line or asking you to do different action. And then as he's tossing things out, I'm thinking of things that I think are funny, too. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're getting this dialogue of like, oh, right, yeah, yeah, you know, do this, try this, do that, you know. And you're really creating something that's very, very funny. And we're kind of laughing our asses off in between takes. But it's a little bit different because of the nature of the job, mm -hmm. right? If I were Will Ferrell and it were, you know, McKay, our whole purpose would be to make that thing funny. Here, we need to make it funny insofar as it supports selling that product. Right. So there's still definitely some more confines on it, mm -hmm. and we're dealing with something where you've got literally a handful of seconds to get it done. But that same spirit of that back and forth and trying to find what would really be the funniest and most satisfying thing in that moment, I, that's absolutely what I love about it. And I think that translates to film, TV, whatever, all that type of work. Uh, and that's what I love about it the most. And I think that idea of finding presenting options too is important. I actually, so important. right yeah. when I got out of, out of college and then all through grad school, I worked at a, a post-production facility where they edited commercials. Mm -hmm. And that that was something where it was like what they were looking for was the take. Because that's what they use is the take. And it doesn't do them any good to have the seven takes where you're doing the same thing. Because they're only going to use one of them. Um, you know, and that's true in film too, but I think it's especially true in commercials. You know, that that, that idea of it's not about being on set and perfecting a performance. Mm -hmm. It's about being on set and giving them a bunch of things to have options to do once they get in the edit room, which is where the commercial's really made, ultimately. 
Yeah. That sort of speaks on a thing where some of my experiences, again, this could be down to the type of commercial I've been doing, but you you have a little bit of room and a little bit of requirement to self-direct, mm-hmm. where the directors, some of them that I've worked with have been more visualists or visual artists than they have been actors, directors. So it's up to you to do the thing and to do some of your your own variations on each take, even if they're not quite sure how to ask in actor-director verbiage. Yeah, many professional kind of tributaries flow into and out of the world of commercials. You know, the director you're working with could have come from photography Mm. or art or art direction or production design or could be, you know, somebody who has designs on directing features and, you know, in one way, the, the stakes of the commercial world can be a proving ground for actors and directors, especially in comedy, mm-hmm. but also people from different backgrounds. You're going to be working with people with a modeling background, people that are stunt people, you, you know, mm-hmm. and the same is true of your of everybody in the creative side of it. Sure. Yeah, I think that uh, the idea of the consistency and the variety are super important. You know, you, you do need to get a baseline down. You probably want a couple of takes that really meet the needs. But once that's done, you got to play around with it. Yeah. And that they want you to play around with it and to come up with something different and fresh and unexpected. And that's really important. Which is why, and it goes back to the auditions. They're like, have fun with it. Play around. It doesn't need to be this exact script because it's not going to be that exact script. Mm-hmm. And they want to see what you're able to do on your feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you guys find that you use your basic kit of actor tools that you use when you're doing a play or you're doing a role in a film? Your objectives, your obstacles, your substitutions, are those things that are coming into play for you while you're working on a commercial set? Or are you using a different set of skills altogether? Or if you're using those skills, do you use them differently? I I think for me, the skills that I use hands down the most are the skills that I've learned through improv and sketch comedy that I've done, uh, hands down, mm-hmm. uh, much more so than method acting, right? I, I don't know if there's ever been a commercial where I've explicitly used anything that I've learned in my method acting training. I Probably it seeps in there in some way, but it's almost undeniably been improv and comedy. I think that... Uh the most important thing that I've taken from it is like the idea of like going to your scene partner, like being engaged with the person. If it's a, you know, a scene type commercial where you're with someone else is like, make sure you're engaged with that person, whatever, you know, whatever that means and whatever it takes you to be engaged with that other person. But I feel like that's kind of been the, the key of just working with the other person. Yeah, and I think when when I say improv, actually, that's a you bring up a really good point. That's part of what I mean by it. In yeah. case, depending on how familiar people are with what improv actually can mean, it can mean a whole world of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that I think is most important is not just thinking on your feet and coming up with things in the moment, but to be present and do something real with the people that are on the set with you. Uh, it's not artificial. It's not BS. You try to find something genuine and real with the person that you're working with. Yeah, and, and that's in terms of like preparing before you get, you know, in front of the camera too while you're waiting and for all those hours is, you know, 
I did the commercial this week where I was playing someone's mother and she was off being with her actual mother and her grandmother and this other little girl that was there and I was like oh god I gotta connect with this girl before we're in front of the camera she need you know what I mean like we need to have some sort of connection beforehand too so I made a point to talk to her and we bonded over frozen and stuff like that but <laughs> but so that you know it it's not this weird awkward thing you're supposed to be a, you know a couple you're supposed to be a mother daughter you're supposed to be you know you're supposed to have a real relationship and get that across in seconds yeah i think that's the, the thing the degree to which something reads on camera within this story in order to serve the purposes of this commercial is paramount um as opposed to even a, you know short thing on a television show or a film or a play where um it can it's a piece of a larger story or character arc that has unfolded like you there's it everything needs to be specific and clear and um in uh um uh to be uh, everything needs to be specific and clear and uh not vague <laughs> well and if you've worked if you know if you're working on a play you've had four weeks with these people too to create the relationship and the history and all of this stuff and you have you know couple of hours while you're waiting or maybe you know or you know and it also is not just the brevity of your relationship with the people that you're working with but also the people who are going to be viewing it mm -hmm. I mean I think yeah. that that just has so much to do with yeah, I mean why we talked about the specificity of what they're looking for when they're casting and all the way through the choices you make on the set is that idea of the audience does not have any time to evolve an understanding of your character that's not the form you know, and, and that idea of you need to be that thing. Mm -hmm. You need to be that guy behind that desk at that moment. And that is how they're going to sell people the soda. Well, and thinking about that, too, even going back to this idea about you being a mother for to this girl, um, that a lot of that is going to be established not just by your performance. The full weight of that relationship is not done by your performance. It's done because they cast you, I'm sure, based on your physical resemblance to that girl. Mm -hmm. And they will then create a scene where the environment clearly indicates that you are the mother to that girl. You know, they're doing a lot of other things to prop that up so that the audience, as you say, Kit, I mean, is not doing guesswork in the 20-some seconds right, that right. they're viewing this, right? right? Or so. they're asking the exactly right question that's solved by what the product is, right? Right. That they're controlling, in much in a playwriting way we talk about mm -hmm. in these episodes, they're controlling that dramatic question in a very condensed way. Yeah. So cool. I think also, to go back to the techniques that, or the things, the tools that you've listed or you just spoke of, um, I think things like, obviously, we've spoken of substitution already and improv already. I think with things of objectives and obstacles I think you will use those things I think everything in commercial skews to the positive so when you're when you have a dilemma it's not a sad dilemma it's not a stressful dilemma it's a quirky dilemma or it's a it's a um, a thing that needs to be solved but it doesn't ruin your day now there are always exceptions to that rule but I think that everything is skewed slightly in the positive direction mm -hmm. even if the the pain reliever that you try before doesn't work you're not you're you're not wrecked you, decide, <laughs> you go you go okay you know I tried this other thing it just didn't quite work but I looked in the medicine cabinet at my sister's place and I saw this thing and I and I knew that it was good for cramps but I didn't realize it was also good for headaches you know mm -hmm. but it's not it's not like this 
puzzlement like what is this doing in here it's more like it's more like oh i saw this thing yeah. and i knew it was a pain reliever i thought i'd give it a shot i'm just so loving it's, it's, this idea that like because you're so right it's right? definitely it is it's, an it's, upbeat it's, world it's like, it's like everything is 10 percent rose colored right everything yeah. i love the idea of being like what if it weren't and, <laughs> and, and, Darren Aronofsky, you know, yeah. Darren Aronofsky directing <laughs> that, that, that pain, <laughs> yeah, exactly, oh man, uh, yeah, well, it's I right. mean, it's a degree, you could do it with the same copy, you really could, yeah. I'm sure people go in, oh god, and do it, well, we hey, did, you, hey. we did, uh, like a semi-private class, mm -hmm. uh, and read copy, and we were supposed to be a couple, and we were supposed to be a couple fighting, and you and I, and like, we're <laughs> kind of similar actors, right. and like, got into it and like we're fighting yeah. and our coach was like all right he's like you don't want people rooting for your divorce you know in the 20 seconds that they see you right. you know it, you know you need to be sparring but they need to see the love they need to see you know what i mean like you need to create exactly. a relationship so you where you're fighting yeah, yeah but it's not like these people do not belong together and clearly this pepsi is breaking them up. <laughs> that's a point because yeah. if you are in an acting moment our us as actors we as actors go to love too. to go to the dramatic thing and they love to fight the fight yeah so your objectives and obstacles need to be skewed in such a way that still have pleasantness the pleasant undertone the love undertone yeah. to it if it's pepsi or like dr pepper it's less the thing of we're fundamentally fighting and we can't agree but if only there were a soda where the <laughs> diet one tasted like the regular one mm -hmm. right well you're in luck couple that has everything <laughs> great in its life except for this one thing about right. soda right. Yeah. Well, yeah it's also i mean it actually goes to kind of a bigger rule around comedy right it's mm -hmm. like that's not just about commercials, although it's definitely, definitely about commercials. Uh, it's not just about that. It's about comedy. If you have the straight guy in a comedic film, that it's very different from a dramatic guy in a Darren Aronofsky film, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, if you bring that character to the comedy, mm -hmm. it will be from a different world, and it won't make sense, and the comedy will fall flat. You have to have a particular type of straight guy, straight man, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, you've got to have a particular type of drama or seriousness in a comedy. Yeah. Which isn't to say, to wrap it back around to what skills we use, which isn't to say there isn't a place for that, you know, sort of fundamental acting work that, you know, I trained in. And I think it's more a question of what do you need to do in order to get yourself to the place where in that swirling ecosystem of the shoot, mm -hmm. you can deliver and you can have confidence and you can do your work. Um, I think I might, as a person, an actor, err a little bit more toward bringing stuff from my training, which is why it took me a number of years to learn how to synthesize that work and do it quickly on set or in preparation. But that's something you learn, okay, this is the way that I work and this is what I need to do to prepare mm -hmm. or else I just ring as false if I don't do that work. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the arbiter is what, do, what is it going to take for me to come in with that confidence and to be myself and to roll in there and do the work that I need to do? Mm -hmm. So after you've shot the commercial, you've done a bunch of different things, you've tried a bunch of different ways to do the scene as you've been working with the director and the rest of the team on the set, and then the commercial comes out. How often is it what you expected it to be? How 
often is it something other than what you thought it would be on the day you shot? Well, sometimes you're not in it, <laughs> which can come as a surprise, although it shouldn't come as a surprise because if you don't appear in the final edit, you will get you should get some correspondence that lets you know that before it comes out that you, you know, either from it'll come from the client to your agent. You should get that before the commercial ever airs that you shouldn't be expecting to see yourself in it if you're not in it if you haven't made it into the final edit which can happen for any number of reasons if it's a smaller edit or if it's a smaller um you know the storyline changed in the edit room as kit said or the options for what you brought in weren't used a different tone you know um that's happened to me a number of times and it can be disappointing and frustrating but you yeah and uh or they didn't want to pay a salary of another actor you know in uh, the re-airings of it but that's something that's part of it and uh, you should be prepared for that eventuality when you're shooting and when you're booking you know? it's also interesting the amount of time that passes between shooting and the commercial airing is is all over the map all over the map and I and you know with film it can be years but you know usually with commercials it's a couple of months unless they're right up against a deadline and it, you know you can see it pretty you know there's a pretty quick turnaround mm-hmm. so that's kind of an always interesting addition to it then there's the hold situation as well you know where they they want to retain the rights to use you and the commercial and make sure you don't do a commercial for another similar product Mm -hmm. so they will uh keep paying you for the spot without it airing and you get a periodically you get paid periodically for the spot until they put their whole campaign together or launch their new thing or the event during which they want to air this ad happens or they finish the spot or they decide whether or not they're going to use the thing that they've had kicking around because they have a lot of money. They just pay on everything they shoot unless they decide they want to use it. Yeah, I actually had an odd situation on that once where I, there was a big brand and they had a large campaign and they shot multiple spots in this one campaign. And I was there for a shoot day. We didn't actually shoot our spot, but they kept myself and this other guy on hold for, I don't know, a couple of cycles anyway, just to continue to have the option to shoot with us. Oh, and, but they, they kept just, you on hold for, before the spot for that long. Yeah, so oh. we didn't even actually shoot the spot, but they just held us so that they could have the option to use us if they wanted to shoot it. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's very niche. I mean, that is so that is not that. a common experience, no. so it's almost not worth mentioning. But it is. it just goes to show how sometimes they don't run the commercial, sometimes you get cut out of it, it depending if you're not, you know. There, there are definitely those factors where in... Over the years of doing it, I've come to assume nothing, right? Sometimes it just doesn't air. Sometimes it doesn't air as much as you thought. I've actually, and that's another thing too, right? You never know. I had a big brand that I did and I was super excited about it. And it was like a blip on the screen. It barely ran because they were then off to the next campaign versus another one, which was a brand I'd never heard of before I booked the commercial. Uh, but it was a national thing, but they had local markets. And I just never lived in one of their markets because New York wasn't one of them. And I, you know, I was excited about it. I was glad to get it. But I figured, you know, no big deal. And that thing was like the little engine that could. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't move on to the next campaign rapidly. They stuck with that campaign for a couple of years. So I kept getting residuals and I kept getting holding fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so that was the thing I learned years on later is that 
you can get a huge brand and it may not be a huge payday. You can get a small brand and it might actually add up over time to be a pretty big uh, payday. Well, do you guys want to talk a little bit more in detail? It's things that you have alluded to, but I'm not sure everybody knows about. Mm -hmm. Um, But about that idea of sort of like what the financial arrangements is and how residuals work Mm. and things like that. And also about the idea of conflicts and how that uh, Mm -hmm. impacts the work that you can get. Yeah, so actually I think it's interesting. It's almost one of the most frequent questions that I get asked is how does the payment work? Uh, So one thing is you you get paid for the day of the shoot and the union dictates the amount uh, of that shoot. And you get paid for the fitting too. And you get paid for the fitting, Mm -hmm. right. And actually in some cases you even get paid for the callback depending on the nature of the callback or if it runs too long, things like that. Uh, but as far as the, the, the real money comes from residuals and from holding fees. So residuals work in a, you know, without getting too much into the complicated aspects of it, it's about things like how frequently does it run? Uh, what is the end use? So is it network? Is it uh, cable? Is it internet? Uh, what is the, the region? Is it international? Is it national? Is it local? Uh, I mentioned frequency, right? So does it run every day, every week? Does it run 100 times a day? Also, what time of day? Is it prime time? Is it off peak? So there are a lot of different factors that play in that can change how big or how small your check is going to be when the residual check arrives. So I think in that respect, um, there's a lot of moving factors, right? But that's kind of the gist of the residuals and how they play out. And then there's also holding fees, which uh, basically the you're paid so that they can continue to run the commercial. And that goes in cycles. And have the option of running the commercial because right. Right. when you do a, a commercial for a product, you are essentially saying that you will not do a commercial for another similar product. Right. And so if I or you shot a commercial for product X, soda X, right? and they're not ready to run it yet, but they're not ready to scrap it either, they will pay you a fee, a holding fee, for your time and to show, or, or to, to, to pay you because you're no longer allowed to go on auditions for or shoot any other soda. Yeah, yeah. Or so soft drink or juice or any of that, mm-hmm. anything in that world. Right, so you shoot a Pepsi commercial, they run it for six months, then they stop running it, but they still pay you a holding fee for another year so that you don't do another Coke or another whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they continue to pay you those holding fees, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and then they maybe they run it again, they have that option, but maybe they just keep you out of Coke's playing field for a few months right. until they're comfortable letting you do whatever. To like sign you on to do the parody of the hugely successful spot you were in, you know, which is a thing that has happened before. Sure. And a lot of this is incumbent on you because there are so many um, aspects that are moving pieces to it. Often what my agent will do in the breakdown or in the appointment email is list the conflicts that, you know, a larger agency can't be responsible to keep track of all of them all the time. And you're the one who will be a better uh, judge of oh, no, I do have a conflict for this, you know? Mm-hmm. Same thing will happen with your uh, your residuals and your fees. If something's airing that you're not getting paid for, which is a thing that happens. Has it happened a huge to you? thing, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they're moving parts, hopefully it's not malicious, but it's definitely a thing that happens. If somebody texts me, they saw me in a commercial, I always ask, what channel, mm-hmm. when did it what air? Time? Yeah. What time? What <laughs> time? Yep. Um, because then you can drop your agent's line and say, hey, this was on an 
on network or yep. this is on cable and I didn't and, think I was getting paid for this cycle. And I will say that particularly with internet, that is so much more common now mm -hmm. uh, because what happens and not necessarily intentionally, but a lot of times things just stay out there longer than they're meant to because no one's paying attention. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, well, technically speaking, if it's continuing to be out there for public consumption, you're to be compensated for it. And uh, yeah, so I think in particular, you know, a company stops running it on TV, but they keep it up on their YouTube page for another you know, year, maybe because they forgot about it. Mm -hmm. You actually can get another internet, internet payment for that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, anytime friends, family see a commercial on TV, <laughs> you always want to get a note of it to make sure that you're getting compensated for it. Usually, if you've got a good agent, they're on it. Yeah. Uh, but it's teamwork. You know, you're part of that team. It's a business. And if you see something and you think you're not being paid for it, you need to bring it to your agent so they can chase it down. If you see something, say something. If you see something, say something. I think Ooh. along those lines, though, to clarify, <laughs> though, and I don't know, you guys have maybe have had different experiences. There's a vast difference between a network run commercial oh, yeah. and a cable commercial. Huge. Cable works in a quarterly buyout which means they pay X number of dollars. And just for the store, the sake of the story, let's say after taxes or whatever else, I get a check for $1,300. And that covers every cable channel, every airing of the commercial for three months. So it covers, so it doesn't matter if it ran on Lifetime 67 times in a day. You're getting that that thirteen hundred dollars covers every airing on every channel that is considered a cable channel. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get into a network situation, you get paid per airing. And right. when I had something like like I said, I, I did do a Gillette commercial a couple of years back. The vast difference between like when it ran just during one football game could have been more money during that one football game than two quarterly buyouts. Yep. Well, and that's when I was kind of doing that breakdown of the residuals and right. the frequency and all that. That's that's definitely about the network, right? Always only yeah. about so network. So that's a good clarification. And that's, you know, and you know, obviously you still want to find out if somebody's seen your commercial, but if your mom saw it on, you know, again, Lifetime or uh, I don't know, Spike TV or whatever whatever the cable channels are that are If your mom's watching yeah, Spike TV, Spike, yeah. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, or VH1 or, or anything <laughs> else like that. It's uh they can tell you, but if you've gotten that quarterly buyout check, it's covered. Right. It's You'll only when it's that. network. Watching cable, they just run those same commercials over and over. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Well, it's funny, too. You know, you mentioned how, how much things can change on the network front. Uh, I've been in a Super Bowl commercial, and a lot of the uh, reaction you get is, oh, wow, a Super Bowl commercial, that must be huge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, it was great, of course, but it ran once once mm -hmm. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. and from a purely financial perspective would you rather have a big brand commercial that ran uh for six months on network you'd rather have that than a super bowl commercial Absolutely. you know any day of the week financially speaking mm -hmm. uh, of course it's super fun to be in one and all that good stuff but yeah yeah one of the things that you may or may not uh, be expecting after you shot the commercial is whether or not it actually runs and how long it runs. You know, I, I shot that soft drink commercial in the spa setting and there were a couple celebrities who were involved in that commercial and it was a great day of shooting. The, the, the women that I worked with were gracious and fun and everything else. And the director even took me aside and, you know, jokingly said, you were going to make a lot of money in this commercial. 
So it's easy to count those chickens before they hatch if the powers of that bee are saying these things to you. Well, it turned out that one of the celebrities had a personal thing that came out in the news just a few months after the campaign ran. And it wasn't a bad thing. I, you know, just personally, I, I, you know, I applaud her for whatever happened, but it eclipsed the campaign that we were running in such a way that it kind of, they decided to just pull the campaign. It ran for two months, but after that, the whole thing just got pulled, not because the product was bad, not because of whatever, but just because of this, these ancillary things that you think shouldn't affect it, and they do. I didn't get cut out of the commercial, I was in the commercial. But for whatever reason, it was big enough a news thing that it eclipsed the campaign in such a way that it was better just to stop running it. Um, that's one of those unique things, but I think the unique stories do are important to understand. There's a lot of reasons why something might not run. Yeah, you just never know. Or I think Jersey and I were talking about this, I think, where the commercial that I ha- was a must-join for SAG. Mm-hmm. So it's my third commercial. I think it was Sears. And so I paid this big fee, which at the time I think was $1,400. So nothing to scoff at, especially when you don't have that money. And I paid it, and then I ended up getting cut out of that very commercial that I had to pay to get in the SAG. So it felt like it, it was biting. Same here. And I ran from the SAG office to the bank to get the other residual check-in. So post in time for the thing to process by morning in L.A. And da, da, da. And then I ended up basically paying to do the spot. I mean, I didn't because I had union membership and I paid that fee. And da, 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 but that's how it felt as at the time. At that moment, <laughs> you know? yeah. But uh, you think a large picture, you know. That, I, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I've, got, I've got a friend who just did a, a really awesome, what sounds like a very awesome pharmaceutical commercial. And she filmed part of it in North Carolina and filmed the other part of it in Rome, Italy. And it sounds like a great experience. She had a fantastic time with the, with the team and the production. And it will probably run and air just fine. But what happens if that product gets pulled because of like a, an FDA issue? And that has nothing to do with her performance. It has nothing to do with the quality of the production. It has only to do with the product. And they have to pull it because of something goes wrong with the, the product. Mm-hmm. It, and that's a, another reason why things unexpected. So just don't count your chickens. Yeah. And when oh. you get the residuals, <laughs> you save them. <laughs> Even more so, don't count your chickens or tell all your you know friends and family like I've got these amazing chickens coming in yeah. <laughs> they're going to be really these eggs are all going to become chickens yeah I honestly there's a number of reasons not to kind of talk about the work you're doing in commercials yeah that's a good point I was going to actually say on that front you know in general I don't tell my friends and family and, and I just wait until they see it on on the screen you know and that's when they find out uh, but yeah, yeah. The, the not to tell um, obviously with conflicts that's one thing but in general too like my agent has definitely always been very clear about this they would rather not have you promote your stuff via social media. And that's so counterintuitive for much of what we do, right? If you're in a film, you're on a TV show, you're in a play, you're gonna plaster that stuff out there for everyone to see. You want the world to know that you're in this stuff and you want them to go see it. With commercials, it's a little bit of a different story because you don't wanna necessarily promote the fact that you're in a commercial for one brand. 
because the next brand, and it may not even be a direct competitor, but just another brand may not be as interested in you then. Uh, so it may not be you know Coke and Pepsi. It could be that you do Coke, and for some reason, Microsoft is less interested in having someone from Coke represent their product. So, you know, they see it on TV, of course, it's public, but uh, definitely the agents a lot re recommend that you don't publicize it on your own. It's almost like, yeah, the audition or the commercial is an insular unit that hopefully will make it through through production as long as it's being held, as long as it's being aired, and then you move on after the conflict has expired. But even in terms of like resumes beforehand, you know, there isn't that much this is the resume or you know on your full acting resume the commercials are a that that's the thing we can offer mm -hmm. oh yeah know. it's always that standard line you know commercials available, available upon, upon request, request. Yeah. Right. that's it you never you never say oh well you may not see it right now but two years ago i did you know this brand this brand this brand and this brand yeah. you just don't publicize it really mm -hmm. and it's uh it they we can provide that information if they request it but unless they do, you just don't put it out there very often. And actually, even in the way we've all talked about it today, you can see we've mentioned a couple of brands here mm -hmm. and there, yeah. but for the most part, we've kept it kind of vague. Yeah. And I, I think that's why, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are valid reasons, and then it's just also sort of how it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a small element of that that feels like it's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good place to wrap up. If you'd like to learn more about Cry Havoc, our classes, our upcoming public events, and ways that you can support the podcast and our other free programming, please go to www.cryhavoccompany.org. You can follow us on Twitter at CryHavocNYC, or you can find us on Facebook as The Cry Havoc Company. If you like what you're hearing, please let your friends and colleagues know we're out here. And if you have not already subscribed, you can go to the iTunes store to do so. And while you're there, please write us a review or give us a rating. It helps other people find the podcast. So for myself, Jenny, Chris, Andy, Jersey, and everyone at the Cry Havoc Company, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavocompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.